Welcome to Bramasol's Insights to Action podcast library of topics covering regulatory compliance, reporting, disclosures, financial management, and financial transformation technologies. Bramasol is the leader in SAP-based finance solutions and a co-innovator with SAP on developing and deploying purpose-built compliance capabilities. Learn more about Bramasol at www.bramasol.com. Hello, this is Jim Hunt for Bramasol's Insights to Action podcast series. This episode is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about the five P's of compliance, and we're very lucky to have Julio Dallacosta, uh, the Director of Technical Accounting at Bramasol, to walk us through this. Julio has uh, got over 20 years of experience on both sides of the desk, on the client side and on the consulting side, focusing on technical accounting, financial reporting issues, and he's got lots of experience on compliance and areas, uh, change projects in areas such as revenue recognition, leasing, financial instruments, and others. So he's really had a, a lot of experience with compliance projects and what it takes to make them successful. So the five Ps is right up his alley, and I'm looking forward to what Julio has to say about it. Julio, uh, good morning. Good to have you here. Hi, Jim. Good morning, and Happy New Year. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. Why don't we just uh, dive right in and talk about uh, the five Ps. Let's identify them first, and then we'll drill deep on each one. So what are the five Ps of compliance? Hi, Jim. So I think, you know, it, it's good to give a level set of, 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 of the talk track that we're trying to achieve here, because I think it's important, Jim, to really give the audience uh, a feel to, you know, why compliance and, and you know, some companies look to compliance as a necessary evil. You know, I think the new thinking, especially we at Bramasol, we see compliance as a competitive advantage. And we really feel that competitive advantage gives you through the lens of compliance because what is compliance comprised of is really it gives companies a competitive advantage to go out and have that level set of the information coming through to our investors for that company is accurate. It's accurate. It's in accordance with all the laws and regulations. So therefore, an investor, myself or you, Jim, you can go on, look at a public company's numbers because we know they now comply with all the regulatory standards. And you can make your own decision whether you want to invest in that company or not. Simple example of revenue recognition. We know there's been substantial changes in the last five years for revenue recognition. Well, once you know that a company has complied with the new standard, you can feel comfortable that I can make an educated decision whether I want to invest in that company or not. The same can be said with leasing, with all the regulatory new compliance standards that have come out in the last five years. Now, with that level set, if we go into the five P's of compliance, it will really show why these things are very important. There's really five issues or five standards when we talk about the five P's, which is policy, procedures, processes, proof, and people. So, Jim, I don't know if you want to just take a step back and understand how this all encompasses from a holistic perspective, but if you look at the first P, 
all about your accounting policy. So what is an accounting policy when it comes to compliance? Well, every company has to comply. We talk about revenue recognition, lease accounting. There's a policy that you now have to create. So people like myself, who I used to work at a company where the new revenue recognition standard was coming out, and as a result, the executive team asked me, hey, Julio, we need to now create an accounting policy that's going to ensure compliance for the new revenue recognition standard. So how do we do that? You have to basically understand what the new standard is saying. So basically for revenue recognition, there was a four-step model, ASC 605. Under ASC 606, there's a five-step model that you have to look at revenue recognition in a very different way. So when it comes to policy, what companies have to do is, as your first step is, you really have to say, okay, here's what the new policy says, and here's how it compares to what the standard says from the regulatory board of FASB or IASB, and say, okay, here's the five-step model for revenue recognition or whatever the 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 standard says, and then you now have to interpret that and apply that to your company's processes, which is our second step. But before we go into the process, let's understand what the policy actually means. So I'm going to take what the regulatory body has said, and now I'm going to apply it to my own company's standard policy setting. Now, every company has its own business process. They generate revenue recognition in various ways, in different ways. You may have an oil company pulling oil out of the ground versus uh, Amazon selling something online. Now, the whole point of that is each company will develop, based on that standard, its own accounting policy to deal with that new revenue recognition standard or any accounting standard for that matter. So usually as a process, you basically take your standard and then you apply it to your own company's business process. And then you usually document that in an accounting policy document. This accounting policy document usually would go to your executive management team and usually is signed off by the chief financial officer because he is now, he or she is now saying, based on the new standard, we are now going to follow this new accounting policy so that we are in compliance with the new standard. So when the CFO goes on the investor calls for public companies or they're audited by their external auditor, the first question they will, they will ask them is, have you complied with the new standard? And he would say yes. And obviously, being an auditor, the next question would be, well, show me. And this accounting policy document will be the evidence of that um, setup of following this new standard. So, well, so the policy step in the five Ps is really taking regulatory change, the mandate, understanding it understanding how we have been doing things in the company and updating that baseline policy so that it's compliant and that it guides what the company is going to do. And then that kind of feeds into the next two steps for sure, the procedures and processes. Right. So 
the policy is a guiding light for the company. Any company, every company should hopefully have some policy to understand how it goes about following its accounting operations, following the accounting policies and procedures. So when you think about that policy, the policy is a document. It's, it's, right. it's, sort, of, it's sort of a theoretical document that is, that is in line with an accounting standard. The process now is the application of that theoretical document into the company's operations. So if you think about what a process is, if I am recognizing revenue based on a time-based mechanism, which is I have a subscription, I get billed $10 every month, the process of recognizing that revenue is now every month based on the new accounting policy, I am going to or I am allowed to recognize revenue on a monthly basis, which is in line with and in compliance with the new standard. Compare that to a leasing implementation of the new lease accounting standards where you've set your accounting policy and now your business process is whenever there's a expense item over a certain threshold, the business process is now, the new business process is, I have to now look towards my new accounting policy based on leases as to whether I have complied with that new standard. So if I have a certain amount of expense, I now have to say, is this expense related to the new lease accounting standard? Does that make sense to you, Jim? Yeah, yes, it does. Uh, a question, um, it, maybe you can clarify for our listeners, the processes and procedures, is one more software solution-oriented and the other is more people-oriented, directing them on what they're going to do? Yes, yeah, so, you know, you can, when you think about compliance, compliance can be done in various mechanisms. You can comply with a policy manually, you can comply with a policy using a system, and we always recommend, as best we can, to always use a system because of the flaws of us humans and the flaws of, as we like to say, using manual processes. So right. the procedure now comes into play because the procedure is the desktop manual of the process which comes from the policy. So the procedure is the actually how to do something. So if we take a specific example of revenue recognition for a company that is selling bottled water, the, the procedure is when the invoice comes in, we have to look at what are the shipping terms of this shipment of bottled water. If the shipping terms are deliver, delivery COD, Basically, I can recognize revenue as soon as I deliver to that location. If the shipping terms is free on board, it means that I can recognize revenue once I deliver it to that location where it is going to be shipped. So even though you have now complied and you have a business process to say, this is my, what I need to do in my process, the procedure tells me when I ship that 
bill of goods for my bottled water, I now have to look to what are the shipping terms as a procedure in my, in my accounting operations, which you can now distribute worldwide. So you can have a consistent level of policy accounting standard documentation and process by saying everybody who is shipping our goods out, the procedure now is to look for the shipping terms to ensure that I've complied with the new standard. So it's really a nice layering of starting with the policy at the top, going on into the process, and then really looking at the desktop procedures into how do I execute this compliance initiative from top down. So those are essentially the three stages of implementation of the policy over kind of umbrella framework, the processes which involve software and other mechanisms to enable you to implement those, that policy and then procedures, which as you say, are like the desktop manual, the, the how-to piece for the people who are going to actually be implementing or running the processes. It's very important because a lot of the breakdown in compliance initiatives, especially in multinational environments, is that companies create a great policy at corporate HQ, but it's never filtered down into the business process. And therefore, the staff assistant sitting down in Africa or Asia, who is 5,000 miles away from corporate, doesn't actually understand what his or her part of responsibility is to ensure compliance. I think a lot of companies always have to remember that it's very important that once you have this great policy that you can show, you really have to show how to implement it. And the implementation of those accounting policies and procedures is really in the desktop procedures that has to be now filtered throughout the organization. We always say, if you take a look at, a, at leasing, you can have a great lease policy at corporate, but who really is the person who is implementing the lease policy? What we find is, based on our implementation projects, is, is the person who is driving the forklift, the person who's sitting down at the warehouse or in the logistics department. Why is that? Because that person is the first line of defense when somebody says, we have a thousand shipments, we need to order a new forklift. Well, guess what? Yeah. That forklift rental could most probably will impact your lease accounting policy. And then the question arises, should we capitalize this lease expense with a forklift? So you can see, Jim, that it's great to have an accounting policy at corporate, but if you don't filter this down into how-to desktop procedures at each corporate, at each location within a company, it could fail very quickly. Right, right. And it, it also brings to mind for me that uh, it's easy to let rest on your laurels and think you've completed it. You know, the, the policy development team, they might think, okay, we're done. And then the processes, uh, let's assume that that's IT. So the IT implements software and the greatest processes you could ever think of. But unless you have that next step of procedures to tell the people all around the world how to use those processes, then 
you're really getting nowhere. You might have the, exactly. you know, the Chinese capability under the hood, but if you haven't taught the person how to drive the car, it's not going to go anywhere. And actually, that's a nice seg- segue, Jim, into the other two Ps, which is really where the rubber hits the road when you think about it, which is basically proof and people. So if you take people first, people really means how has your organization filtered this information to everybody who needs to know about these regulatory changes? So while somebody sitting down at corporate needs to know all the nuances of the new standard, how how it affects the company's operations, the people aspect of it is really the training the training of everybody that needs to be involved in the compliance initiative. So when we talk about people, in my example I just gave you, which is the person sitting down at the warehouse in Asia, and you may say to yourself, well, how does the person sitting down in the warehouse who is just basically you know, renting the forklifts or renting the trucks, 5,000 miles away, how is he or she actually involved in compliance of a new accounting standard? Well, I would say tremendously, and exactly what I just said is, you have that person, and and like you said, Jim, you have this person who, you have this great glossy policy at corporate, right? But then the person who really needs to enforce the policy is the person sitting down in the warehouse, and he or she is our first line of defense when it comes to compliance initiatives. And we all know compliance is no longer a necessary evil, but it's really a competitive advantage. So it's very important that when it comes down to the people, the question is, how do we roll out the training? So in my, in my personal experience, when I was rolling out the new 606 rules, we had four offices all throughout the, the world. I went to Asia, I went to Africa, I went to Latin America, and we had two-day intense trainings. We started with the managers, and then we rolled it down to all the accountants and the assistants. And like I said, a lot of times people miss the non-accounting staff, and what people don't realize is the non-accounting staff, the operation staff, in any accounting rollout of new regulations, they are the ones that usually are the first line of defense. The accountants typically receive the information from operations. So it's very important that the accountants, even though they have to know a little more nuanced information, that the operational teams have to really understand what is the new regulation about, why are we doing it, and what is my role in this compliance initiative? Yeah, you just said the magic word I was going to ask you about, which is the the why. It's really important in bringing the people on board, uh, the operational people on the front lines, to have them understand the how. Obviously, if they don't understand the procedures, and the, you know, that's the goal of the training. But if you give them the context of the why, this new change to compliance, you know, you don't have to give them, you know, chapter and verse on every paragraph in the policies, but it really helps people adopt a change if they understand why uh, the change is occurring. I think also, too, more, more importantly is if you think about motivation and trying to have a consolidated, concerted effort in a compliance initiative, 
once people understand that their role, even though they work in a warehouse or they have in you know they have a lower level assignment or job responsibility, once they understand that they are a very important piece of this compliance puzzle, they become more motivated to actually help enforce that compliance. And I think it's very important, especially in a multinational environment where you have far-flung operations, especially decentralized operations, that those people understand how important they are in the whole scheme of the company-wide company initiative. And I think it you know, it's been proven that once people understand that they are part of this initiative, and like you said, the why of it, they become much more motivated and much more involved and to help the organization to comply with that initiative. Excellent points all. Uh, you know, we have about three or four minutes uh, left today, and we have one big P left, and that is proof. And that's going to go to documentation, reporting, disclosures, and auditing. Yes, sir. So, you know, <laughs> you can do the four Ps really well, but if you have no documentation to evidence that or to prove that you've done these things, it really isn't worth anything. Because if you think about it, if you have your auditors, your auditors are going to come in and they're going to say, okay, you've complied with these new regulatory standards or your, you know, your compliance initiatives. Prove to me that you've done this. Show me how you've done this. And that's why you start with these accounting policies. You have your process change maps, and then you go down to your desktop procedures about this compliance initiative. And then, so therefore, you have this proof that we've started at the top and we've gone down all the way to the end to the execution of this compliance initiative. And that proof is really the key to all because, you know, as they always say, if you haven't documented it in the accounting world, you haven't done it. So it's very important. You don't want to go through all that process and expense and effort of training people and then you have not documented it because for an auditor, his only way of validating that, you know, Julio went to Africa to do training, he went to Latin America, and the CFO signed off on the documentation, is a trail of evidence that's going to show step one to step 50, and that will really give them that comfort level that, okay, ABC company has complied with this initiative of a new regulation, a new accounting standard, or any new business process as you go. Documentation is clearly very important. But just as one more thing, Jim, from, from a proof perspective, not only do you have your external auditor requirements, but a good business practice for companies you know, as they move forward, the thing people don't realize is things change. People leave companies. So if I have now, you know, took a company public or have now took a company through a new accounting regulation and all the information is in my brain and I haven't documented anything, if I get a better job tomorrow and I leave, all that information goes away. So it's not even a compliance initiative. When we talk about compliance, we talk about it being from a competitive advantage where you've now documented it as a best business practice. You can just say, okay, I'm leaving tomorrow. Here's all the processes. Here's all the documentation to the new person coming in. So therefore, it's a nice flow 
of transition as well, Jim. Yeah, really good point. And and it uh, brings up another question I was going to ask about. We started off by talking about essentially public companies and investors and so on. And the I want to be sure we bring up the point that these five Ps don't just apply to public companies. They apply to private and to other organizations because even if you don't have investors, you have lenders, you have partners, you have uh, regulators, depending on you know what industries you're in, and you need to be able to prove compliance to all of those people as well. Excellent point because, as we know, most private companies, they have debt agreements, and debt agreements require a certain amount of compliance initiatives. So it's an excellent point. These five Ps, Jim, they're really not for public or private, they're for all companies. And again, moving away from companies have to do this, it's more of companies are wanting to do this because it also gives them, the last thing I want to say before we leave is, it gives them a competitive advantage because what happens if you document all your business processes, you have desktop procedures in all your key critical areas of operations? Can an executive team do more with that? Of course they can. They can manage their business better. And that's why we talk about using compliance to ensure competitive advantage and give them a step up on their competition. That's the key from a non-accounting perspective. It's, it's, it's the improved process efficiencies that you get from doing these exercises in every critical process. Excellent point for the wrap-up. And just a, a final note, um, it really relates back to the uh, Bramasol mantra of comply, optimize, and transform. Because if you comply right and you consider things like the five Ps and you put all that foundation in, in place, then you've set the solid foundation for optimizing and then as you go forward for transforming the overall organization. Absolutely, Jim. This has been great. Um, Julio, thank you for your time today. I'm sure the listeners will get a lot out of this, and I look forward to our future sessions. Thank you very much, Jim, and have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bramasol's Insight to Action podcast series. We hope that you found it helpful. To ensure that you never miss a future episode, you can subscribe to Bramasol at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Bramasol and detail on our solutions for compliance, optimization, and financial transformation, please visit www.bramasol.com or email us at info at bramasol.com.